foundations. We've been looking at the fact that that uh, the law and the promise, we just sang about that nothing compares to the promise we have. The promise of salvation, the promise of, of eternity with, with Christ, that promise is, is absolutely incredible. Uh, we, we looked at how the law that was given, the Ten Commandments, all the other laws and rules that we talked about, how those two things, they, they, um, the law does not change the promise. Salvation was never intended to uh, be received by keeping the law, which is good. Because none of us could do it. Remember we were talking about having, if we wrote out all the laws, all 613 of them on this piece of glass here, and you kept them all except you broke just one. We'd tell you, okay, just, well, just go break just one with a hammer. Well, what happens? You break just one, the whole thing comes crashing down. We learned that there's no point in trying to keep all the rules surrounding Christianity and faith because it, salvation is based on the grace that comes uh, from Christ and through uh, faith. So we've been studying, studying Galatians. Anybody find that's a little bit repetitive? It, if you haven't, you haven't been listening because it's really repetitive. It's almost like Groundhog Day, that movie where the guy wakes up every day and it's like 6 o'clock and it's the same day every day. And you're like, Paul, like, what are you doing? You, we already learned this. I know what you're going to say. Not the law, but live by, live by faith. Trust in Jesus, not, not the rules. And you're like, is, is he going to say that again? Because I'll just go to another church. You know, I want something fresh and new. But how many of you have kids? Anybody have kids? And you're like, you, you tell your kids something and then the next, the next five minutes later, they're, like, they're not doing what you said? You're like, seriously, I just, I just told you. Here, can, can you do this? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, sure, Dad, I'll clean, I'll clean my room. Whoa, toys. You know, it's like for all the, the, the ADD people, even, even on the way here, it's like it must have been crazy for you because it's so shiny everywhere out there. Like, oh, 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 oh. I'm, I'm glad you made it here, right? But that's sometimes the way, the way we are, uh, even as, even as uh, Christians following Christ. We get distracted by stuff. It's like it, you tell your kids, I told you once, I told you a thousand times, you know. This is what it's supposed to be. I think Paul feels the same way. He's like, hey, listen, Galatians, listen, Kingsway. If I've told you once, I'll tell you a hundred times. God's saying it to his kids. You know, if I've got to tell you a hundred times, I'm going to tell you. Because you might be like me where you still feel yourself sometimes drifting away to the, to the trying to keep rules or measuring yourself by the rules. And he says it's not what's... Um, what, what, the, what the promise was all about. Uh, we looked at uh, Galatians chapter 3. We were studying a few verses. I just want to give a quick recap, and if, if you can, because those ones kind of tie in with what we're, uh, where we're going this morning. We're going to finish Galatians chapter 3. There's only a few verses left. But if you go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, it's a race. Sword drill. All right, Galatians three nineteen. It says this, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. And that's that, that million-dollar question we're asking. You know, okay, God, if the promise was that we'd be saved by grace, you know, through faith, then, then why the law? Why did you give it? You know, we talked about that last week. We're not, we don't have time to go into that, but we learned a few things of why the law was given. It wasn't to change the promise. It was given to do a couple things. It was given to make sin really sinful. It, it was a, like a, a diagnostic tool that, that would show you that, you were, that you're really, you know, you're not measuring up. If you compare yourself to the law, you realize, I am not, I am not good enough on my own. I can see that and I know that. But the law was never designed to fix anything. The law was just there to show you, say, hey, you're really sick. You should go to the doctor. You know, or your car is really broken. It should go to the mechanic. Not, not, nothing else. It's not, um, it was not meant to cure us. But it was meant, God gave it that it would reveal sin and draw us to Christ. It was almost 
it was almost like, you know, when you have the magnets. Uh, I remember as a kid, you know, one of our homeschool uh, outings, we went to the slaughterhouse. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I know, homeschool kids get the greatest class trips, right? Like, uh, we went to the slaughterhouse, and when we were there, we got to take something home. My brother took home an eyeball from a cow, and I took home the magnets that are stuck in their, in their, in their uh, throats, in their stomachs, to make sure that they don't eat too much uh, metal or whatever. So these magnets are really, really strong magnets. So I took, you know, take two of them home, you stick them together, you can barely pull those suckers apart. Like, they are, like, they're bound for life. Uh, but the, uh, the opposite is true. You put the wrong ends together, you can't, for the life of you, get those things to actually even touch. And it's the same thing with what God designed the law to be. It was to bring us to Christ, that the relationship with us and Jesus would be so tight that nothing else would pull us away. Because it was like, I'm not going anywhere else. I know anywhere but here, I'm sick. Anywhere but here, I don't measure up. I'm sticking so close to you, Jesus. But what happened? The enemy perverts that, and he, he takes the law of what God designed to draw us and stick us to Christ, and he spins it around. So now it pushes us away. And you might be sitting here this morning, and you're in that spot where you're like, you feel guilty. You feel like, man, I don't measure up. You know, God couldn't love me. Uh, you know, and you, you think, oh, I should have had all this together. You know, I only tithed 9% this morning, so, you know, God can't love me. Anyways, I threw that in for someone here. Um, but, but that's, uh, you know, that's, that's there. You're like, oh, God couldn't love me. What's it do? It just begins to push you away from Jesus. And it's almost like you can't get there. Why? Because the law is being used for the wrong thing. And we said the law is only in effect. The law is only there to tell you about your sin until you choose Christ. Once you've decided to choose and follow Christ and you're stuck to him, the law is not allowed to beat you up anymore. You're not allowed to feel the guilt and shame. So if you are, you, you shouldn't be. And, and the Bible gives that, that chance of freedom for you. Then we looked at Galatians 3.21, which talks about, God, you gave the promise and you gave the law. Are they working against each other? And they're not. One's the diagnostic tool and the other one is the cure. One tells you you're sick and one's the medication that, that heals you. And from that, Paul carries on so he said uh, the law is to make sin look really, really sinful, make, you look, make sure that you really understand how bad uh, it is. But then he says in verse 23, he says this, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us. So notice the timing. Before Jesus came, before there was ever a chance to believe in salvation that way, it says we were placed under guard by the law. Who's he talking to? It's really important to understand the timing, who he's talking to, like who he wrote this to, and who he wrote it about. See, back in, in the Galatian church, we learned this half was probably all Jewish. This half here was probably all Gentiles. And they, they kind of did church together. But he's writing to the Jews right now. He's saying, hey, you, you Jewish uh, folks here, you know, we got the law. It was given to us to guard us. It was given, it's not given to you guys, just so, just so you know, you're good. It was given to us to guard us un, until uh, the time when, uh, when we could... Um, place our faith in Christ and be made right uh, by faith. So it says, we were kept in pr protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Then he says, let me put it another way. So he's already done two, now he's going to do a third. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So he's saying, First, he's like, hey, the law is it's guarding us. It's guarding the Jews. It's not guarding us as, as uh, Christians. When we read this, we've got to remember who it's being written to. What is, what is this protective custody thing all about? It, it's, like, it's like putting a lion in a cage. You know, if we had a lion here, it's like, 
you know, man-eating lion. We set it right here beside Brian. He looks over. He's like, yum. You know, I mean, he's, he, he, without the cage, he's going to eat Brian. Yeah, Brian thinks he's yummy too. All right, so he's like, yeah. Uh, he's he's going he's gonna to eat him, destroy him, just like that. What do we do? We put a cage right here, and we put the lion in the cage. Is, did, the, did it change the lion? Does the lion now look over and go, mm, you know, I don't want white meat anymore. I'm going to find someone else. He, he doesn't. He, he just realizes that, that he can't actually attack, uh, attack him. It didn't change the inner heart of the lion. He's still a lion. He's still a man-eater. He still wants to do that, but he can't. He can't. He's being restrained. And you say, well, you know, how does that work for me? Well, for any of us who drive, there's a, Matt Chandler gave a great uh, illustration of it. For us, it looks something like this, that, you know, that it's the reason, the law of restraining us, it kind of looks like the reason why most of us don't speed badly. You know, out there. We, we all know, right? I mean, none of you, you, like, you see the speed limit signs, like 80, and you're like, right on 80, because you, you people annoy me, right? Those, uh, uh, but, but we all know there's a buffer zone, right? Like, uh, it, it's from, it's from you know, zero to 19 kilometers over. If you're in that range, you're safe unless it's, like, unless it's quota filling day, then don't even risk it, right? Like, at the beginning, at the end of the month, you slow down. But there's, there's this, this buffer zone that we drive in, and we think, you know, we're all good. We're all breaking the law. But why don't we speed badly? Why don't we bust out like 1.30 out of the parking lot here and race each other all to the Greasy Spoon in Jarvis after church? Why, why do we not do that? Because we know that the law restrains us and slows us down to say, hey, I don't want the ticket. You know, I don't want the consequences. And so when the law was given to the Jews, it was to protect them saying, hey, put, put this in your life. It's going to restrain you a little bit from totally blowing your lives up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of hold you in place. So number one, it's going to make sin look really sinful. Number two, it's going to kind of restrain you so that, uh, well, let's all watch the baby go. And we're back. And so it says it's going to restrain you to make sure that, uh, you know, you don't go and screw your life up completely. And then it says, let me put it another way. So if you haven't got those two ideas of what the law was, let me give you one more. The law was given, it says in the one translation, as a tutor to lead you to Christ. You know, the Greeks would have been, you guys, the Greeks would have been really familiar with this because any rich and wealthy Greek family, and they, had, they would have children, they would hire somebody to, to parent or to teach or to tutor their, their child. The tutor was basically like this person who watched everything they did. You know, the kids going to school, they watch them. They take them, make sure they get to school. They, they, do, they watch everything to make sure that what mom and dad said the kid's supposed to do, he does. It's like Travis, you know. Deb sends Travis out and says, here, bring this apple pie to the neighbors, Travis. Okay, mom. He's like, yeah, right. I'm eating this apple pie. The tutor's like, uh, Travis, what are you supposed to Oh, come on. Okay, fine. You're right. I'm supposed to bring it, bring it, to, the, bring it to the neighbors. Okay. And he goes and he does and he comes back. Did you bring the apple pie? Yes. And asks the tutor, yes. He's watching everything they did. It's like the chaperone for your grade eight class trip. You know, you go to Ottawa and you're going to see the parliament building. It's like, oh, yeah, this is whatever. The chaperone's the one who makes sure you don't come home and be like, hey, you know, hey, son, how was Ottawa? Ottawa? We went to Vegas, baby, you know, like I, I played blackjack and roulette and I, I got married. Check it out. Here's my, uh, here's my new wife. She was in Cirque du Soleil and I rescued her. She said, you know, he'd be like, what? Who was with you? Who, like, who allowed that to happen? Like, well, that would never happen, but it does. June 30th of last year, 10-year-old girl flying from San Francisco to Michigan to go to camp. Her name is Phoebe Phoebe Klebon. No, I don't think they have a Tim Hortons camp there. But it was, uh, she's flying to camp from San Francisco, and her family says, you know, the airline says, yeah, 10-year-olds can fly alone. We make sure they get there safe and sound. So the 10-year-old gets on the plane, little Phoebe flies, and, uh, and then that night the camp called and says, uh, hey, uh, Phoebe never showed up. You know, did you, uh, did you guys not send her? And the parents are like, what? 
you know, yeah, we sent her. So they're like, check the airport in Michigan. No sign of Phoebe in Michigan. So then they're like, okay, well, where did she come from? Well, it would have been, they flew into Chicago O'Hare Airport, which is a huge airport. Well, the people that, the, the company said, we're going to take care of, you know, the, the airlines, we're going to take care of your kids. They, they hired that out to someone else who forgot to uh, meet little Phoebe in Chicago and take her to her connecting flight. So she spent hours there in the airport, not able to phone home or talk to anybody. She's 10. Her parents spent 18 hours on the phone trying to track her down and try and figure out, you'd be thinking, man, I would be so ticked. You know, not one lawsuit. I'm like, we're, we're talking like lawsuit after lawsuit for this. Why? Because the chaperone, the person who was supposed to do something, failed the job miserably. And you see, that's what's happening actually with the Jewish people. He says the law was designed to bring you to Christ. And what's happened? It's not doing that. The, the law, something's gone wrong in the law. The enemy's changed it now that, that it's all of a sudden it's like the Jewish people feel like, hey, we're, we're, we're stuck and we're lost in this place. We have no idea where, we, where we're supposed to go. And the law was supposed to bring them there. And he's reminding them, saying, listen, the law was your tutor. It just is supposed to bring you to Christ. Another translation of it says the, the, the law is your babysitter. You know, and it turns out that's a bad babysitter. Uh, any of you had bad babysitters growing up? Uh, no? Just me. Huh. I had some really bad babysitters, actually. Uh, growing up, I had one, one babysitter that uh, right be, you know, before we'd go to bed, they'd take my, my, I was five, my brother's like three, and they take us outside, and they're like, okay, start running laps around the house. And we're like, what? Seriously, you know, I'm running laps. You're like, run laps. Okay, we're running. Run around the house, and we, we get there, and we're like, come on, we're tired. You know, after two and a half laps, like, I don't want to see tears. You're going to run another lap. And we run around another lap, and he just ran us to the ground, right? So we were so tired, put us in bed, <sighs> gone, right? That guy, he babysat us once. We had, we had another guy that, that was going to, these are all my cousins, right? So some, <laughs> some of them might come here, but another one babysat us, and we're like, you know, we want to drink. And he yells up the stairs, drink your spit. And we're like, all right, you know, he only babysat us once. My other one, he, uh, he came over and decided once we were asleep to take the van with my dad's, uh, all my dad's work van and drove off to go hang out with his friends. The only way we figured it out was because he slammed on the brakes and all the tools which were in the back are now in the front seats. And he was like, you know, the, they're like, uh, yeah, he only babysat us once. You know, I wish those were the worst ones, but they, but they weren't. But, you know, I, I'm just saying, just for free, know who babysits your kids, all right? Know who babysits your kids. Um, but I had great babysitters, but I'm saying the law is like one of these other ones. It doesn't fit. I can't tell you about them because it doesn't work. But the, the law was like these bad babysitters that, that, that didn't do what they were supposed to do. They weren't, they weren't bringing the person or taking care of the kids till dad got home. And that's what the Bible says too. Once dad gets home, there's no need for the babysitter anymore. You know the worst feeling is when you come home after somewhere and the kid wants the babysitter more than you. You're like, hey, son. No, I'm staying with the babysitter. That, that's a terrible feeling. And yet that's what's happening with the Jews. And they're saying, no, no, God, we don't, we don't want the relationship with you. We, we want the rules. We, we, we don't really want the relationship with you. We kind of we like just doing church. We kind of like just, just doing the, 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 the kind of thing. We like to be, you know, babysat a little bit. And he's saying, listen, this is so much better. This week, um, Dakota comes over to our house a lot. My kids love Dakota. And so uh, I was a little bit busy. And so he's, um, he's reading uh, books on the couch. And there's my kids all over Dakota. You know, one's on his shoulders, two sitting beside, reading. And there's my wife on the other couch taking pictures. This is what a real dad looks like. You know, <laughs> and you're like, 
Come on, you know? You, know, you, want, you want your kids to, to want you. And since that's what he's saying. The babysitter's done the wrong thing here. And so that's why Paul is so upset with them. You know at the beginning when he's like, are you guys freaking nuts? Are you, are you kidding me that you guys want the, the law and want the babysitter over the relationship with dad? Like, are you, are you crazy? You, you, you Greeks, you never had any of the rules and laws, which those guys did for 2,000 years and couldn't keep it. And now you're like, hey, we have freedom in Christ, but no, we want this other side. He says, that's what he's trying to tell us today too, is that we have freedom in Christ. Why would we go back? Why would we ever want to take on something more than, than what we've already had? He says, you don't realize how good you've got it. He says, but I want you to. So that's what he's, he begins to shift gears at this point and say, you know what? We've talked a lot about the law. We talked a lot about how those things aren't, uh, the law is not the answer. He says, but I want to just show you a little bit about who you are, about what this whole deal was supposed to bring into your life. So if you're still with me, go to verse 26. He says, for you, for you. He's talking to you as well. If you're a follower of Christ, he says this, for you. You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united in Christ or united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Here in two verses, he mentions a whole bunch of stuff about Christ. It's just loaded with, with the, these metaphors of, of who Christ and, and us and the relationship it is. For you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It says you're in Christ. You've been baptized into Christ, and you've put on Christ like new clothes. You've, there's something where it, it, it's, your life is all about Jesus. That's where the identity is. My life's not about who I am, but it's about who he is. And Paul, Paul identified with Christ. There's, there's something that, that we really miss in our, in our culture and in our Christianity is we got this big thing called identity crisis. We're like, we don't know who we are. We, we have such a difficult time. Paul in Galatians the, chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, he said this. He says, this is who I am. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. My old life, it's crucified. My past, it's behind me. It's, it's crucified with Christ. I'm dead to it. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is who I am. The life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My whole life is surrounded, wrapped up completely, all about this person, Jesus. That is where, you know, this freedom, and you think, man, Paul, you are like a superstar Christian. Yep, the reason being is that his identity, he knew who he was. He knew that, you know, Christ and, and me, we, we got it covered. You know, it's all him, and, and I'll make up the rest. He says, I, I get it. I know how this works. But see, we probably would have identified him differently. Had we known Paul back then, you know, the Jewish crowd would have known Paul, and they, they, they would have said things like this, you know, hey, can you explain to me who Paul is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know who Paul is. You know, Paul's that law-loving, Jesus-persecuting, you know, self-righteous, tent-making murderer. You know, that's, that's who Paul is. And, and they would have been right in, in, their, in their perspective of it. But he says, I don't identify with that. That's not who I am. I'm not all those things that happened in my past, and I'm not what I do. So many of you, I'd ask you the question, who are you? Who really are you? What's your identity? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself by what you do as your job? Oh, I'm so-and-so because this is what I do. Or, you know, this is my past. This is what I am. So we identify so often with, you know, I, I'm an addict. You know, or I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm guilty or I'm whatever. And we, we identify with this, and it creates incredible internal conflict in us. Because what Christ is saying is that, that the whole message of the gospel is that we change our identity. 
we become a totally new person on the inside that now my life's all about Jesus. It's the relationship with Christ. Second Samuel, you know the great thing about the Old Testament is looking back at it, you've got the New Testament. Once you can see back and see what it was all about, there's a story in the Old Testament about a, about a kid named Mephibosheth. Uh, Second Samuel chapter 9, it tells this story. I'm just going to give you kind of a, a whatever, a version of it. But Mephibosheth is a little child. He's the son of a prince. His dad is killed in a war, and uh, what, what happens is the whole, the whole king and the princes, they get wiped out. So back in that day, what happened is when, when one king dies and a new king is going to start, he goes and he kills everybody from that, that family. He's going to make sure nobody tries to come and claim the throne at some point. So Mephibosheth, his nurse realizes, hey, this kid's in trouble, picks him up and starts running. Well, she drops him. She breaks both of his legs, and he's lame for the rest of his life. So he runs, well, he doesn't run. She carries him. Yeah, cut your legs off. Don't come running back to me. Right, so he's, he goes, he, the nurse carries him to the desert where they hide out and they live for his whole lifetime in the desert in a place called Lodibar. No f- limited food. You know, there's no, no land, nothing that they have. Can't grow crops. That's where he lives his life. He was the son of a prince. Now he's living in absolute destitute uh, a place. He's, and, and as he's there, uh, the, the worst possible thing that can happen happens to him. The king, the existing king, King David, hears and knows that he's alive and says, I want this person. Go find Mephibosheth. Now he's an adult. He says, go find him. Bring him to me. So you're like, Mephibosheth, you're going to see the king. The king found you. He wants to see you. And he knows what that means. He knows that in their culture, I'm a dead man. And you know, I, so he shaves. He cleans himself up. He does whatever he can to go. But he goes there, and, and he realizes when he gets to the, to the thing, what he expects is that, hey, you know what? I'm, it's over for me. And the king says to Mephibosheth, I'm so glad you're here because you're supposed to be living in my palace. He says, what you don't understand is there was a deal done before you, were, before you were born. Before you were born, I made a deal with your dad that you and, and any of your brothers and sisters would be treated like my kids if anything happened to him. You're supposed to be sitting in this palace. You're supposed to be eating at my table. You're supposed to be wearing the clothes that I have, and you are supposed to be just like one of my kids. Mephibosheth is in shock. This is not what he expected at all. Because for him, he says, even in the Bible, he just says, he says, King, what do you want with a dead dog like me? Living in this place far long enough, you lose all the value for who you are. It sucks every life, everything out of you. Your identity becomes so worthless that there's zero identity left. You know, I'm just a, I'm a screw-up. I'm a mess-up. I'm, I'm an addict. I can't get any of this stuff right. I'm, I'm done. I'm dirty. I'm just whatever. I'm not worth anything. And yet the king of kings says the same thing to you. You should be sitting in my palace. You should be eating at my table. Which when we talked about eating at the table, that is one of the greatest relational things that they did. The greatest possible thing was that he had the relationship with Christ. I've heard this preached before where they talked about, hey, you know what, as a Christian, you're supposed to have all the blessings. You know, you're supposed to have the land and that's what God wants. He just wants to bless you with all this stuff. Mephibosheth wasn't concerned about having all of the stuff. In our lives, sometimes we're still God. We think it revolves around us. God, you've got to do everything for us. My life's got to be comfortable. I should be, you know, I shouldn't have any needs. I shouldn't have any of this kind of stuff. But that's North American version of Christianity. But even Mephibosheth, even though he was blessed with all of that, we should have, you know, that blessing. That wasn't what he cherished. Because in chapter 21, which they never tell you about, is Mephibosheth meets David as he's coming back out of, out of uh, exile. And David comes back and says, Mephibosheth, you didn't come with me. How come you didn't stay with me? And he says, I was cheated. You know, my, my servant, I can't walk. My servant was supposed to bring a donkey for me to ride. And, and he tricked me and I was stuck here. He says, David, I haven't showered or shaved since you left. 
So he, I mean, he looks like a crazy man. He says, what? He says, I'm just so happy you're here. And he says, this guy cheated me out of all my property and everything, everything you gave me. He stole it all from me. And he says, what do you, what do you, uh, he says, what do I do about it? And King David said, hey, you know what? You just go and deal with it. You split that property, do whatever you want to do. You tell that guy whatever you need to tell him and tell him I said so. He says, you, you're, you have that. He says, you know what, King? When there's something powerful in that, that God says the same thing to you. You've got the authority over the enemy in your life. He says, he's not allowed to steal from you. He's not allowed to tell you any of that stuff anymore. You deal with him. He didn't, King David didn't come in and do it again. He'd already done it once. Jesus came in and did it in your life once. He's not going to do it again. You get to do, you get to live in that. But what does, he, what does Mephibosheth say? In chapter 21, he says this, King, he's like, I, I'll give up all of that. He says, all that I'm not worried about. I'm just happy that you're back home, that we are together again. Is that the, the passion that burns in your heart? Say, God, I just want relationship with you just to know you, God, to, to, to actually have what you gave your life for, what you paid for? Is that something that burns in your heart? Or do you, are you stuck in that identity crisis of, of not knowing who you are or not knowing whose you are? Do you realize you're part of a family? You are part of his family. Is, is there anything more that we really need when we know that we've got the relationship with Christ? And in the next chapter, we learn that, that we can have just that conversation with God. We call it prayer. We try and make it fancy, but it's just having that conversation, talking with God. Paul says you're part of his family. Why well, go back to the babysitter? That's how good you have it. Your identity can completely be changed. You can live in complete freedom. And then he ends it with this, verse 28 and 29, where we will end as well. There's no longer Jew or Gentile in this family, no slave or free, no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham, the promise that he made to him of salvation, of righteousness, belongs to you. There's no division by race, no division by status, no division by gender. In this whole family saying, hey, you guys, you know what? I wrote to you, I know half of you are Jew and half of you are Greek, but he says there isn't any of that anymore in the family of God. In church, there's no room for that. There just isn't. There's no room for, hey, this is the, you know, we're Dutch and you're not much. You know, there, there's just no room for that kind of thought, um, thought process. The, he, he's saying, you know, what, you know what's so crazy? Is that churches from then till now have separated and divided themselves into so many things because of all of these things. You know, race has been a huge thing that divides you. Like, you know, well, we don't have that anymore. We don't have slavery in Canada anymore. Yeah, we got racism. And you, you, all you got to do is just listen. You know, you have some people are like, you know, I'm not racist, but, and they drop a racist bomb, right? It's like those same people like, you know, uh, no offense, but, and then they offend you. Like, it's, they, they let you know it's coming. All you got to do is listen. You know, some, some thoughts, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, I hate Americans, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, or, or you know, those, uh, those natives, blah, 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 blah. Do you realize something? That, that he leaves no room for racism, period. Why? Because you hold the message that saves their life. And racism is one of those things that will just come in, sneak in. You know, some, I, I, I hear it all the time from people here, and I would say, listen, he doesn't leave any room. As we grow up in Christ, we love every person, regardless of skin, color, regardless of country, regardless of anything. He says, there's just no room for that. N no room at all. We are the church, not, not what happens in Kingsway. I'm not saying that we're going to have, you know, like a, a multicultural melting pot of different, different nationalities here. But he's saying, listen, don't allow that even to be in you. You're the church. You meet somebody, you're doing a deal with them, and they're from, you know, uh, India. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, good, good. Where are you buy your car? You're like, and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to talk to you. Click. You know, it's, um, I, I, listen, I heard that. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, I'm saying these are the things where you realize that the opportunity for them to be a part of the family rests with you. 
it can sneak in so easily. And it, it doesn't just stop there. It, 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 uh, th- there's nationalities called United, Presbyterian, Catholic, different things. I, I want to I let you know that any follower of Jesus, any person who's looked to Christ for salvation, is part of our family, regardless of where they go. We're not here to build Kingsway. We're here to build the kingdom. Whether you attend here, we're not the best church on the block. We're, we're, we're not even trying to be. We just want to build people, build the kingdom, build people of faith. But let me say the same thing. Those of you, or those who attend those places, that doesn't automatically guarantee that they're family. Nor does the people that attend this place guarantee that you're family. You know, there's some of you, you're on the outside still. You haven't looked to Jesus for salvation. You haven't. You, you, got, you got Sunday down pat. You know what time to be here. You know what time they close the cafe. You know what time to get, you know, in here. So I'll listen to Mark, probably try not to fall asleep. Hope he tells a joke, you know. And you go through it, and, then, and that's what it is. But there's so much more. He says, don't live all those rules and miss out on the relationship that being just stuck, stuck, uh, completely identifying with Christ. He says, there's no division of status. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're educated or you're a disciple. You know, you're allowed to be in this, in this family is what he's calling for. It's what Paul warned every time they took communion. He said, hey, don't treat or look at anybody differently than the others. They're the same. There's no male or female. It's not like, oh, these guys can do this because they're men, you know, and women get to the kitchen, you know. He says, back in that day, that's what it was. He says, you know, the, the whole thing was that a woman could not be an heir. They could never inherit anything. They couldn't inherit the promise. He says, there isn't any of that. You guys are just family. You're one. You're, you're one family. You're his kid. And it's the same here. I want to encourage you, Kings, as we, as we grow, as we mature, as we grow up in Christ, as we put him on in our lives, as people see us, that that's what they see. No matter who they are, we love them. No matter who they are, we accept them. No matter who they are, we forgive them. No matter who they are, we encourage them. That's who we are. That's what, that's, what, that's what a Christian, that's what a believer in Jesus is. I want to uh, leave you with that, and I, I guess leave you with one thought, because if I don't give you the, the, the answer, just leave you with the problem, there's no good. But the Bible talks about uh, Jesus talking with Nicodemus. He said, you know what? He, he looked back at the Old Testament. He said, hey, I want to I paint a picture for you. You know, back in the Old Testament, there's a story where Moses and the children of Israel were out in the desert, and they're complaining, and all of a sudden, snakes came from everywhere. For those of you who love snakes, you're going to love this story. It's really good. The snakes start coming through the camp, and, and they get in their tents, and they, everywhere they, they are, they bite the people. And, and, and their, their venom, after a couple days, the person who was bit would die. And so Moses is like, God, we've got to do something. People are dying everywhere. And he said, okay, I want you to, I want you to go and make a serpent out of, out of bronze. I want you to make this serpent. I want you to put it on the pole, set it up in the middle of the camp. And, I mean, there's three million people out there, so it's, a, it's like Toronto, right? But, so he says he sets this thing up. He says, if anybody gets bit, he says, that person, all they got to do is go and look at that serpent. They look at that, that snake on the pole, they'll be healed instantly. He says, you know what? He says to Nicodemus, that's the same thing that's happening now. He says, when the Son of Man, when Jesus is put up on a cross, he says, all the people got to do is look. If they look to him, they'll be saved. What does it mean? I look away from me. I look away from who, who I am, and I look to Christ, and I keep looking there. That's my identity. That's who I am. That's my forgiveness. That's my righteousness. He did it all. I just give up on everything, looking to laws, looking to rules, looking to church, looking to my good behavior, looking to any of that. I look away from all that, and I look to Jesus. Anybody can do that. You know, you could be a garbage man or a CEO of you know, uh, Microsoft, you can look to Christ. You could be a kid. You could be seven years old. You can look to Jesus. You could be 87. You can look to Jesus. The invitation is out there this morning for you that there would be saving faith in this place. As 
why we've been speaking about it over and over and over again. My heart is that it's Kingsway 100% of the people who sit in these chairs every week would know the actual truth of why we sit here. It is because of the relationship we can have with Christ and that that would grow. And I pray today that that has inspired you to either reach out for that or to grow in that relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Dad, I thank you that we're in your family, that we're brothers and sisters across this place and with many around the world who right now are, are worshiping and celebrating you. Jesus, I just want to say thank you for the cross. I, I, I would be nothing without you. I, I would be so lost. But Lord, I thank you for your love that, that uh, you sacrificed you, your life for me before I ever knew. Thank you that I had the chance to receive that. This morning, I pray that others here in this place, as they just feel that in their heart, even that, that desire to look to you and look to real life. God, I pray you give them courage to share that with somebody, to begin this journey uh, uh, of this relationship with you. Father, I pray for those here this morning who even this week just got distracted and began to look at the doing rather than just being your kid. pray this morning again that that would just be rejuvenated in them, that they could just, with uh, reckless abandon, just yell, Daddy, and, and, and spend, uh, spend that time with you, just living life with you. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for this this idea that you uh, came up with. I pray your blessing over them. God, I pray your, your favor on their lives. I pray that as they, as they uh, live out their lives, they'd be lights that shine bright for you like we sang about, that people would see and, and, and experience you through them, that, that, that your glory would be, uh, be, be all over the place because it's, it's resonating from them. Thank you for that this morning, Lord. Love you a lot. I really do. Thank you again for this opportunity to do this together. In your name we pray. Amen.